back in the book of Job tonight, Job chapter 38. We're going to try to finish where we were, our last look in the book of Job. We're in the latter chapters of this book. We're in the longest speech recorded of God in all the Bible here in the book of Job as God is speaking to Job. There have been several that have spoken to Job throughout the book. Uh, and now we're right in the middle of where God is speaking to Job and so we're going to pick up and read our text again. I'll go ahead and get started. I hear just a few pages still turning. But Job chapter 38, verse 39 through uh, chapter 39. Job 38, verse 39 is where we will begin. We'll do a little bit of review, and then we're going to pick up where we left, uh, where we left off our last look at God's speech to Job. His questioning of Job continues. Job 38, beginning in verse 39. Wilt thou hunt the prey for the lion, or feel the appetite of the young lions? When they crouch in their dens, or abide in the covert to lie in wait, who provideth for the raven his food? When his young ones cry unto God, they wander for lack of meat. Knowest thou the time when the wild goats of the rock bring forth? Or canst thou mark them when the hinds do calf? Canst thou number the months that they fulfill, or knowest thou the time? When they bring forth, they bow themselves, they bring forth their young ones, they cast out their sorrows, their young ones are in good liking, they grow up with corn, they go forth and return not unto them. Who hath sent out the wild ass free, or who hath loosed the bands of the wild ass, whose house I have made the wilderness and the barren land his dwellings? He scorneth the multitude of the city, neither regardeth he the crying of the driver. The range of the mountains is his pasture, and he searcheth after every green thing. Will the unicorn be willing to serve thee or abide by thy crib? Canst thou bind the unicorn with his band in the furrow, or will he harrow the valleys after thee? Wilt thou trust him because his strength is great, or wilt thou leave thy labor to him? Wilt thou believe him that he will bring home thy seed and gather it into thy barn? Gavest thou the goodly wings unto the peacocks, or wings and feathers unto the ostrich, which leaveth her eggs in the earth, and warmeth them in dust? And forgetteth that the foot may crush them, or that the wild beast may break them. She is hardened against her young ones, as though they were not hers. Her labor is in vain without fear. Because God hath deprived her of wisdom, neither hath he imparted to her understanding. What time she lifteth up herself on high, she scorneth the horse and his rider. Hast thou given the horse strength? Hast thou clothed his neck with thunder? Canst thou make him afraid as a grasshopper? The glory of his nostrils is terrible. He paweth in the valley and rejoiceth in his strength. He goeth on to meet the armed men. He mocketh at fear and is not affrighted. Neither turneth he back from the sword. The quiver rattleth against him, the glittering spear and the sword. He swalloweth the ground with uh, fierceness and rage. Neither believeth he that it is the sound of the trumpet. He saith among the trumpets, Ha, ha, and he smelleth the battle afar off. The thunder of the captains and the shouting, Doth the hawk fly by thy wisdom and stretch her wings toward the south? Doth the eagle mount up at thy command and make her nest on high? She dwelleth and abideth on the rock, upon the crag of the rock, and the strong place. From thence she seeketh the prey, and her eyes 
Behold, afar off, her young ones also suck up blood. And where the slain are, there is she. Let's read the first two verses of chapter 40. Moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, Shall he that contendeth with the Almighty instruct him? He that reproveth God, let him answer it. Now you remember that Job has pled with his three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar at times. He has uttered before them his plea of wanting to stand in God's courtroom and plead his case. As we've stated several times now, he sees himself as an innocent man that has been sentenced uh, to his bonds uh, of suffering. And he feels if he could just talk to God a little bit about it, God would see his side of it and would straighten things up for him. And so you remember that each time that his other three friends spoke to him, he had something to say in return. He offered a rebuttal. Then Eliphaz, or Elihu, excuse me, Elihu, the young man, he began to speak, and I'll touch on that very briefly. But after he spoke, um, Job couldn't say anything. Uh, he kept pointing Job to God. Uh, whereas those other men were pointing Job toward what they thought about God or what they'd been taught traditionally about God. Uh, Elihu points him and reminds him of God. On the heels of Elihu's speech, you remember now God begins speaking. And we'll say something about that in just a moment. I love the way that Warren Wearsby divides the questioning, questioning of, of God to Job. He said that uh, really in chapter 38, 1 to 38, and we've already covered this, he's asking Job, Job, can you explain my creation to me? You want to talk to me? Let's talk creation. Job, can you talk to me about what I have created? You know so much. Can you talk to me about what I know about? I'm running a universe, Job. I'm just asking you about the creation part you can see. Can you talk to me about it? You think I've been unfair? You think I unfairly allowed Satan at you? You think I've done you wrong? Job, let's talk about my creation. If you'll talk to me about creation, I'll talk to you about your troubles. The second division, of course, being what we've read tonight, chapter 38, verse 39 through chapter 39, and it carries on over into the two verses of chapter 40 that we read. And he's asking Job, Job, can you oversee my creation? Can you sustain it? Can you feed the animals? Can you feed the birds? Can you take care of all that you know about? Just what you know about, Job. Can you, can you see to all that? It's amazing to me that in the text, and we'll only touch it, but in the text we learn that God is the midwife for the wild goats and the wild deer of the earth. Isn't that amazing? He knows the exact day that they will deliver. He knows how many they will deliver. He knows whether they'll be male or female, and he feeds them. He weans them. The text says so. He weans them. He set them up to be what they are. They can't function outside of where they live. God made them that way. Isn't it amazing in the animal kingdom, the animals that are native to North America, then those that are native to South America, those that are native to Asia and Africa, the other continents of the earth, God built them specifically. They did not evolve into being what they are. Uh, God made them after their kind, put them, situated them right where they are. He made them to function just the way he made them to function. And uh, he's asking Job, Job, you want to talk to me? Let's talk. Come on in. Come on in. The door's open, Job. Let's talk a little while. And then, of course, the last division, chapter 40, verse 6 through chapter 41, 
He asked Job if he can subdue his creation. He has two creatures specifically in mind. So the questioning began back in chapter number 38. And just as a reminder, God questioned Job about the creation of the earth. Job remained silent. God questioned Job about the oceans and the seas. He sat there silent. He questioned Job about the sun. Job remained silent. He questioned Job about varied uh, areas and elements of creation. Questioned him again about the sea. Job doesn't seem so hasty to speak now that he has opportunity. He questioned him about the breadth of the earth. He questioned him about the light and the darkness. He questioned and asked Job if he was around when he created all of it. Job said nothing. He questioned Job about the snow and the hail. He questioned him about the atmosphere. And Job remains silent. He questioned him about the rain. He questioned him about the ice and the frost. He questioned him about the heavens and their constellations. He questioned him about the clouds, the lightning, the parched earth. He says, tell me, Job, you want to just take one subject? Uh, take the treasures of the snow for a thousand, Job. I dare you. Take it and try to talk to me about it. I'm telling you, God set this thing up, friend. And he knows where you are. He knows who you are. He knows what your favorite color is. He knows your social security number. He knows what your alarm clock is set to. He knows how many cups of coffee you have every morning. He knows whether it's sausage and eggs or country ham and bacon and eggs. He knows all about, he knows more about you than you know about you. We're so foolish. We say, we'll stand and testify and say, if I know anything about my own heart, when God says the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked, who can know it? You'll fool yourself. And I'll fool myself too. This line of questioning drives home the truth. God knows about every minute detail on the molecular level or on the grand scheme of what we can see in the constellations. God knows about it all. He ought to. He made it all. So a fellow broke down on the side of the road many years ago. He couldn't get his car to stay crunk. Frustrated with it, he got out, popped the hood. Here in a little bit, a long black car pulls over in front of him. The man in the back seat gets out nicely dressed. He said, uh, he said, get in and try to start it. And he said, well, it won't crank. He said, get in and try to start it. So he got in. Sure enough, it turned a few times, but would not start. He tinkered with it a little bit, slammed the hood. He said, crank it. And the man crunk it up. And he was amazed at this nicely dressed man. He said, I don't understand. He said, didn't even get your name. What is your name? He said, Ford. My name is Henry Ford. He designed it and put it together. God knows more about you tonight, dear lady. God knows about you tonight, dear saint. I don't know about you, but that cheers me. That helps me to know that God knows and he has attached purpose to everything. As a matter of fact, the fact that he's going to say what he's going to say or ask what he's going to ask about these, just the animals that he lists. He could have listed how many species of animals could he have listed? Just to know he knows all about that brings me comfort. Let's us know, it reminds us that God knows, knows all, but he knows where you are. He knows who you are. He knows what you need tonight. A lot of times we think we know what we need, but what we actually need may be polar opposite to what we think we need. 
God's not always interested in what we want, but he's always interested in what we need. Always interested in what we need. Paul thought what he needed was freedom from the thorn. Turn me loose. Take it from me. This messenger of Satan sent to buffet me. Remove it. God said, I ain't going to do it. Three times. He said, but I'll tell you what. He said, it's a gift. He said, I've, uh, Paul said, I've been given a thorn in the flesh. Sounds like a gift to me, doesn't it, you? Some of these babies around here are having birthdays this week. They'll be given gifts. Isn't that a blessing? God in his infinite wisdom knows what button to push in our lives toward just like Paul, he could not be elevated in his own mind, his ego. Um, he knows what button to push in our lives that even in our pain we can find that we glory in that because we bring honor to God when we're there. Here's what Ella Elihu had to say. Uh, he had to say, he said, Job, he said, you, you think God it doesn't speak to his people when they're suffering? God speaks to his people. God's speaking to you, Job. Job, you think he's unjust? God does right. He will always do right. He said in chapter 35, he said, God cares for his children, Job. You've lost sight of this. Your attitude, your outlook's all fouled up, Job. And he said, Job, God is all-powerful. He is almighty. You think God's lost control of it all, but he hasn't. He, he proved to be a true friend. He pointed him to God. If I get to be, um, if an accident puts me feeble, and I wind up in a chair or wind up on a bed for a good bit of time or the remainder of my days. I want somebody to point me to God. You can tell me how many fish you catch. That's fine. You can tell me if you finally got a hole in one on the golf course on the par three. That's fine. But somebody point me toward God. Cheer my heart toward God. I was in a camp meeting some years ago and Brother Mike Raglan had no idea he knew where I was. I mean, we've known one another for years. He come running from one side of the building to the other side in an unusual stirring of God. And he said, cheer on, Brother Kevin, cheer on. And then he said two or three words about God. That's what we need tonight. Here, God, in these 70-plus questions, he asked Job in, in this lengthy speech. He, he questions Job, and he lists six different animals, five different birds. He mentions the lion. He mentions the wild goats. He mentions the hind, which is the deer. He mentions the wild ass, he mentions the unicorn, he mentions the horse, he mentions five different birds, he mentions the raven, he mentions the peacock, he mentions the ostrich, he mentions the hawk, he mentions the eagle. He says, Job, talk to me, talk to me. You want to talk? Talk. Take animals for 500, Job. You want to go at it? Let's go at it, Job. God questions Job regarding these animals. He groups them. He pairs them. He pairs everything except the horse with something. But he pairs the others. The list begins with the lion. It ends with the eagle, king of the beast and the king of the fowl. And God mentions these variety of creatures. Now, we've already mentioned some of them, only a few of them, and I'm going to put right back in where we left off for our remaining time. But you remember he... He mentioned the lion. 
God speaks to Job about feeding the lion. The lion can weigh up to 600 pounds, four feet tall. Uh, he is, he is feared. God asked Job, he said, Job, can you feed the young lions? Do you even know when they're hungry? Do you know the habitual practice of the lion when he is? Can you feed him? Do you know about him? He then asked about the raven, which is unsightly. You never slipped up on a raven. No one has except it be God. Of all the birds of the planet, God chose to speak first of the raven. The raven is known sometimes to hunt following a pack of wolves or coyotes or something along that line. They feast on decaying flesh. The lion attacks his prey, takes what he wants. He leaves behind something for the raven. And God has so set his kingdom up that way, his world up uh, that way. God feeds the raven. It's amazing, isn't it? You throw a piece of bread out on the side of the road after you left McDonald's or a French fry and the highway patrolman to give you a ticket for $50 or $150 for doing that. And God said, all I was doing was feeding the birds, taking care of the ravens. God has a way to do that. He talked about the wild goats and the hinds, which are wild deer. Um, and again, he attends the birth of every young goat, every young deer. And God's put it in their life. He's put it into their instinct. He's put it into their nature that they learn as they follow their mothers along for a span of time. They'll eventually learn to, to fend for themselves. Then this is where we got to, chapter 39, verses 5 to 8. Notice he, he lists the wild ass. Chapter number 39, verses 5 through 8. Who hath sent out the wild ass free? Who did that, Job? Who hath loosed the bands of the wild ass, whose house I have made the wilderness, and the barren land his dwellings? He scorneth the multitude of the city. In other words, he has no regard for the city. He said, you can't train him, Job, neither regardeth he the crying of the driver. The range of the mountains is his pasture, and he searcheth after every green thing. He's asking him, Job, did you assign the wilderness as the wild ass's habitat? Did you put him there? Can you tame him? You can't tame the wild ass, Job. You can't do it. His makeup is for the desert, for the mountains. He's looking for a blade of grass. He roams the countryside. He soon learns it, and he roams back and forth. The wild donkey is difficult to domesticate. Again, he doesn't listen to man. Verse 7, neither regardeth he the crying of the driver. He says that the city streets are not for the wild ass. You can domesticate a horse, and you can domesticate a mule, and there are certain donkeys you can domesticate, but uh, there's a breed of donkey had in mind. He said, Job, he's not built for the street. He's not built for the lady and her bonnet. He's not built to pull the wagon. This wild ass is not built to break up the garden. Not him, Job. What a lesson for us all. God created this wild ass he speaks to Job about. He created a place for him and created him for a place. It's amazing, isn't it? God does the same for you and for me. There are places in society, even I don't belong. There are places in society you don't belong. There's places in the social order that's not fit for me, and I'm not fit for it. Happy day when a child of God learns who they are, and you don't have to impress the elite 
of our county or our state or our country. Happy day when you learn how God has gifted you and you're content therewith, whether there be much or there be nothing. Sometimes we think, boy, there's somebody when there's nothing much for them, that somehow they are deprived of the blessings of life. You may be left at a disadvantage, but there's people seated here among you tonight. They grew up, they didn't have much of anything. May leave you at a disadvantage, but it is no disgrace. God knows again who you are. He knows where you are. You think it's an accident you were born the day of the year that you were born to the mother that you were born to, to have the father that you were born to? Some of you were grown up, you grew up in stable homes. Some of us came from broken, broken backgrounds. Some of you understand people I don't understand. I understand some people you don't understand. And God works it together for good. What a God we serve. That's why I don't worry too much about criticism. Somebody said long ago, two things mess a preacher up, compliments and criticism. When you get a compliment, you ought to let it go in one ear, pick up speed and run out the other one, just as quick as it can. It'll ruin you. You go to thinking yourself higher than you are. God doesn't have to have me. He doesn't have to have you. And then criticisms. Uh, look, take it from somebody that talks to folk all the time that are criticized. I was talking with a dear friend of mine Friday morning. And he said, let me tell you about, and I said, I don't care. I just really don't care. And I said, I know who you're talking about. Pretty well know what he said. And I really don't care. If you talk to him again, tell him, I really don't give a rip. I don't care. It's too much work to be done to care. About that, God knows, dear heart. Hallelujah. The wild ass. Uh, man didn't engineer the wild ass. God engineered him. God built him the way he is. I said this about the ostrich, I think, the last time we looked at this passage and we've come into the ostrich. But when you look at an old floppy-eared mule, you ought to say, boy, that, that Brother Kevin says that reminds him of his kinfolk every time he sees one of them. <laughs> Wimp, Mike Wimp used to say, we used to have some riding mules that we rode when we lived out at Thaxton. Of course, sometimes they'd be down near the road there at Thaxton Road. Wimp used to tell me, he'd say, preacher, every time I drive by there and see them mules, I get about half mad. He grew up having to follow mules in the, in the field. God made him that way. If you're wondering what in the world was God up to, he's up to something. He was up to something. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? So he, he created the, uh, the, the wild ass and he set him free according to this. Created a place for him. Created him for a place. There's the unicorn or the wild ox. Look at verses 9 through 12. Will the unicorn be willing to serve thee or abide by thy crib? Canst thou bind the unicorn with his band in the furrow? Or will he harrow the valleys after thee? Wilt thou trust him because his strength is great? Or wilt thou leave thy labor to him? Wilt thou believe him that he will bring home thy seed and gather it into thy barn? The answer to every one of those questions is no, not the wild ox. 
Most Old Testament scholars believe this to be the extinct auroch, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, A-U-R-O-C-H. This animal was once a prominent animal in the Middle East. The size of the auroch was believed to be six feet wide at the shoulders for a bull auroch and had long horns pointing forward. Those that have written uh, about him, a couple of them have stated that they believe him to uh, to remind uh, that would remind you of a steer. One even said a Texas steer, the size of a rhinoceros. It's believed this particular animal has been extinct since 1627 and was considered the most powerful of all hoofed beasts. He says to Job, he's asking him questions. He's reminding Job, can you put a bridle on him? Job, can you put him in the traces? Job, can you stall him in the barn? Can you stable him? Job, can you harness his power and get your crop in? Job, have you ever harnessed the wild ox? You haven't harnessed him because I made him to where he would not be harnessed. Uh, We were talking with one of the men that owns one of the zebras over at um, the Buffalo Park, one of the doctors in Tupelo, and and I asked him, I said, let me just ask you something. He's a horseman. I said, let me ask you something. Have you ever tried to put a bridle, blanket, saddle on him? And he said, we did. He says, matter of fact, we worked with him for a long time. He said, you know what we got him do? I said, what? He said, take one step backward. He said, you know what I paid for that zebra? I said, I have no idea. He said, I'm ashamed to tell you. And he said, we can't get him to do nothing but eat. You could have had one captured, put it at the Buffalo Park. You're not going to get him to do anything but eat. And evidently, he was of such size, the auroch, the wild ox, he was of such size, had he have decided to break out, he'd have just broke out. What he seems to be saying to Job is, Job, if I can direct the wild ass and tame uh, the unicorn, then I'm capable of controlling your storm. Does that find lodging in your heart tonight? That helps me. It helps me. There were a few years of my life where I come out of the bed and before my my left foot would hit the bed, that's the side I sleep on, before my left foot would hit the floor, I would audibly say, Lord, I trust you. I've got out of that habit and he'd get back in it. But I'd say, Lord, I trust you. You know what my verse is, Psalm 37, 5. Whatever the day brings, if you take the hedge down, Satan gets at me, I trust you. Not looking to Satan, I'm looking to I, Lord, I trust you, whatever the day will bring. He mentions the peacock. Look at chapter 39, verse number 13. Gavest thou the goodly wings unto the peacocks? That's all he asked him. The peacock feathers are sought after. As a matter of fact, they're revered by many steeped in superstition and at different religions around the world. If you want the feathers of a peacock, you're looking for the male, uh, the long feathers in his train. And if you'll give him a little while every year, he'll drop those and grow new ones. Every bird on planet Earth molts every year. They go through a molting season. And he'll drop his feathers and he'll drop them all pretty close to one another in the same vicinity. A peacock is territorial. Uh, As a matter of fact, he's so territorial, if he's not comfortable where he is, he'll leave your place and go find him a place. He's rough on rodents, especially snakes. 
Some of us have kept guineas through the years. You know a guinea will freak out when a snake starts slithering across your property. And they'll peck his eyeballs out before they peck his brains out if he's got any. But a peacock will handle him all by himself. He'll take care of your mice. If you have mice around your barn, he'll take care of them. The peacock. God made him, gave him the wings that people seek uh, all around the earth. Have you ever looked closely at some of those peacock feathers? How beautiful they are. You can't even figure out with your mind how they can grow and paint such a beautiful, such beautiful artistry be found in them. Now, they're a nuisance. If you ever decide you want to buy one, they're loud. And they are a nuisance. But God built in him the ability to to produce those feathers that are sought after around the world. Now, if God can put that kind of artistry on the peacock, one of the largest flying birds on planet Earth. What do you figure the new heaven and the new earth is going to look like when we get to them? He doeth all things well. You don't believe it, look at the peacock. You say, I have no use for him. God does. He built him. (laughs) You ever get outside and, and be reminded what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, doth not nature itself teach you? Brother Chris sure spent the church youth camp on Psalm uh, number one, verse number three. I guess five services, was it five services or six, five services or so? And stayed right there in Psalm number one and verse number three about that tree planted by the rivers of water. God plants trees. Sometimes he takes the wind and spreads seed. It's amazing, isn't it, the God we serve? We look about us in life and take it all for granted, and God's tending to it, cultivating it, fertilizing it, putting sunshine on it, rain. Did you know even when snow falls, did you know there are electrical properties dropping to the soil? Were it not for God, we'd either burn up or we'd freeze to death. We'd die of thirst or we'd die of hunger. You look around the animal kingdom, you ought to be reminded God fed him yesterday. God fed him today. What a God. There's the ostrich, an unusual bird, um, the ostrich. Look, if you will, in chapter number 39, verses 13 to 18. Gave us thou the goodly wings into the peacocks. Now he's going to move to the ostrich, or wings and feathers into the ostrich, which leaveth her eggs in the earth and warmeth them in dust, and forgetteth that the foot may crush them, or that the wild beast may break them. She is hardened against her young ones as though they were not hers. In other words, she goes on even after the hatch, not even caring for them. Her labor is in vain without fear, because God hath deprived her of wisdom. Neither hath he imparted to her understanding. What time she lifteth up herself on high, she scorneth the horse and his rider. Isn't that amazing? What do you... What he asks about, uh, or what he says about uh, about uh, the ostrich. As a matter of fact, he, he's questioned about these other animals up to this point. He doesn't question Job about the ostrich. He just makes statements about the ostrich. The ostrich is an odd bird in shape and size. The ostrich can weigh up to 300 pounds and stand as much as 8 feet in height. It's the only bird with two toes and two two eyelashes. 
And though he has two wings, he cannot fly. Um, he can't fly, but he can run up to 40 miles per hour. And when he's hitting his stride, he's the funniest looking thing at all on planet Earth running. Sometimes when he hits his stride, his foot's hitting the ground every 15 feet. Isn't that a sight? <laughs> Don't you wish they'd turn one of them loose in the Kentucky Derby? Let him run. <laughs> God said right here he'll outrun the horse. That's what he said. He said he'll outrun the horse. Matter of fact, the ostrich will run up to 40 miles per hour. The average horse that can run at a good speed, he'll top out at 30. God built the ostrich and said, I built him to outrun the horse. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Verse 18 has it. What time she lifteth up herself on high, she scorneth the horse and his rider. Uh, it's one of the old, old westerns, you know, the, one of the cowboys was riding his horse and the ostrich overtakes him and passes him. And, uh, but the ostrich is considered not just to be ignorant, just outright stupid. Because she lays her eggs in the earth and covers them over and walks off and leaves them. And God said the reason she did that is because I didn't give her the wisdom to sit on a nest. I didn't build that in her. I didn't design her that way. She leaves them in the ground to be stomped on, crushed at times, broken. And uh, God did this. He did every bit of it. It's amazing that he'd put it in his book. The ostrich, uh, when you consider all the other birds of the earth, uh, you, you might wonder why God did it that way, but he did it to suit himself. Proverbs 16, 4 bears that out. Colossians 1, verses 16 and 7 bear that out. Let me mention, let me mention two or three others, and then we'll pick up in our next section. Next Wednesday, the Lord willing. He mentions the horse. I could talk to you all night about the horse. We love horses and we love mules, riding mules and riding horses. We love, uh, we love them. We love the, uh, the trotters that the Amish use. We love, uh, pacers. We love, uh, gated horses. We love walking horses. I don't care much for a pony. That if you ever buy your kids a pony, you ought to, you ought to get a good beating for that. Amen. That's some of the meanest animals on the planet. And, uh, I'm picking at you about that. There are some good uh, good ones out there. Look at verses 19 to 25. We just mentioned just a few things. Then we're going to mention very briefly the hawk and the eagle. 19 to 25, the Bible says this. Hast thou given the horse strength? Hast thou clothed his neck with thunder? Canst thou make him afraid as a grasshopper? The glory of his nostrils is terrible. He paweth in the valley and rejoiceth in his strength. He goeth on to meet the armed men. He mocketh at fear, and he is not affrighted. Neither turneth he back from the sword. The quiver rattleth against him. The glittering spear and the shield, he swalloweth the ground. That is, the dust in battle. He swalloweth the ground with fierceness and rage. Neither believeth he that it is the sound of the trumpet. He saith among the trumpets, Ha, ha, and he smelleth the battle afar off, the thunder of the captains and uh, the shouting. Who made the horse courageous is what he's asking. Who made him that way? If you know anything about horses, I know Betsy does. I know Brother Ronnie Owen does. I'm sure several of you do. You can put him in a round pen as a yearling or as a coming two-year-old or a coming three. 
And he, he may not respect you, but if you'll keep working him, eventually what he'll do is, is he'll drop his head. He's submitting to you. He'll put an ear on you. He's submitting to you. And you'll begin to desensitize that horse as well. Men would train horses and take them into battle. And evidently the horse is built for that. He doesn't pay attention to the quiver that rattles against him, nor the trumpet as it blares around him and in the opposition. He doesn't fear the oncoming, oncom, oncoming soldiers nor the oncoming chariots or other horses of the opposition. He laughs at his opposition. He's ready for his competition. As a matter of fact, I'm convinced the horse loves competition. I mentioned the Kentucky Derby. We, we watch it on TV every year. And you know when they're getting close to, to hitting them for that, kicking them for that final stretch, you can watch them. Those horses will pin their ears, and some they'll give it everything they've got. Their nostrils are blared, and they're giving it everything they've got. You go to the world, racking how, how a horse celebration with Larry Russell and his wife uh, in upcoming weeks and set up there in Shelbyville, Tennessee. And when that walk, Tennessee walker, when that racking horse, if he's trained right, when he's hitting a big lick, son, there ain't nothing like it on the planet. You'll think he can step over the hood of a car. Looks like something. Looks like something on parade. And one is trying to get ahead of the other. And they know the gate, the lick they need to be hitting. It's amazing, isn't it? They're trained for all types of purposes on planet Earth. God gave planet Earth that animal. So a lot we can say about him. He mentions the halt in verse number 26. He simply asks in chapter 39, verse number 26, Doth the hawk fly by thy wisdom and stretch her wings toward the south? He said, you want to talk, Job? Let's talk. You, you, you've grown silent on me, Job. What would you say? He said, the hawk. Who made him that way? Of course, God made him that way. And then there's the eagle. Verse 27 through 30. Doth the eagle mount up at thy command and make her nest on high? She dwelleth and abideth on the rock, upon the crag of the rock, and the strong place. From thence uh, she seeketh the prey, and her eyes behold afar off. Her young ones also suck up blood, and where the slain are, there is she. The eagle's a stunning animal. Um, God is likened unto a mother eagle in Jacob's song in Deuteronomy 32. We are likened unto eagles in different portions of Scripture. And we took some weeks and looked at that some few years back. And all of this, we're reminded of God's creative genius. He could have made things far different than he did, but he made them the way he did. And he made everything the way he did to serve a purpose, to serve a purpose while it's here. He made you the way he made you, when he made you, where he put you. It's amazing to me that God would even look our direction. But just as sure as he feeds the raven and the lion, and just as sure as he designed the hawk and the eagle, and just as sure as he made the horse courageous, and he made the wild ass to roam the deserts and be content, God puts you where he puts you tonight, child of God. You ought to be able to take cheer in that and rest in that. God knows what he's doing. I wonder, and I'm sure it did, begin to dawn on Job. Job, you don't know all you think you know. What you want to talk to me about, Job? 
You really don't want to talk to me, Job. God had his eye on Job. He knew who he was. Never one time, may I remind us, never one time did God comfort Job. Never one time did he offer him an explanation for why he suffered the way he did. He never told him in this speech. He never said, now, Job, I, you, you must know this. There was a meeting about you in heaven. He never told him that. But i tell you what he did do. In asking Job nearly 80 questions, he reminded Job of God's greatness and vastness. God's greatness. How he created and he sustains everything he created. What a God. Let's stand. We'll dismiss in prayer. We'll be here for a little bit.